the American Theatre Wing, and the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts bring you the American Theatre Wing's Guide to Careers in the Theatre. This session, The Theatre Operator. Hello, I'm Pia Lindstrom with the American Theatre Wing, and with me is Phil Smith, who is a theatre operator. How do you operate a theatre? Good afternoon, Pia. Good afternoon. Well, you start in by, uh, I suppose, uh, getting a, an attraction for the theatre. Mm -hmm. That's booking a show into it, whether it be a musical or a play. How do you get an attraction? Well, in many ways. Sometimes they come to you, and other times you have to go out in search of them. And, uh, of How? course, you know, the, the people are very actively seeking theatres right now. We're in a period of time where theatres are in big demand. There are quite a few shows out there looking for theatres. So that's the good period for the theatre owner and the theatre operator. What's the difference between a theatre owner and a theatre operator? Well, if I owned it, I don't know, I would be a lot richer and happier than I am now. <laughs> but I operate, I work for the Schubert Organization, and they operate half of the theatres in New York City, and plus some theatres on the road meaning other cities. So you, when you say you operate the theater, what exactly does that mean? Well, the Schubert Organization owns the theater, okay. and we manage and operate, or whatever other use. We also, incidentally, we also produce plays mm -hmm. and musicals. Uh, we've produced in America and uh, Canada, Cats, which was the longest running musical to date, uh, we produced a new play that opened last night on Broadway, Dance of Death, with Ian McKellen and Helen Mirren. And uh, we also just book theaters. When we book theaters, we're the landlord, in effect. So you work for another company that owns the theater. How yes. do you get a theater? You build it, or you just go out and find one and buy it? There have been very few theaters built. Uh, since although in New York City alone there were only several theaters that have been built in the last 20 years, 25 years. Prior to that, most of the theaters were built when they moved uptown, what was then considered uptown, to what is now called Midtown. And the uh, theaters at that time were built in the area somewhere between the years 1900 and 1920. Most of the theaters were built in the seven block in the seven blocks of the theaters that we have around 1913 1915 1920 so they that's near broadway near broadway so they were all called broadway even if they weren't on the street no that's broadway that's correct they are west, they are east of 8th avenue and uh, most of them west of 7th avenue but a few of them have moved across 7th avenue to being come west of 6th avenue and the theater district is presently defined by 54th Street to 41st Street. Now you operate one of the theaters. What kind of people do you work with as an operator? Basically the producer, but each theater has its own crew or its own staff, which consists of stagehands, box office personnel, ushers, cleaning staffs, uh, all of the other personnel that work in and around the theater is hired by the producer. Who do you hire? We hire the ones I've mentioned prior. The stagehands, the musicians, the cleaning staff, the ushers, box office staff. 
let's talk about the musicians. You hire the musicians, and they well, belong to that particular theater? They belong, no, they don't belong to that particular theater. There was a time when there were musicians, that minimum number of musicians that were assigned to a particular theater. That practice has been dispensed with because as time went on, orchestrations were different, needs were different, there were less strings used in orchestrations than there had previously been, so that it became practical not to have any musicians assigned to any one theater, and that you hired what you needed based on minimum numbers that were assigned by a mutual consent of the theater operator, the producers, and the musicians' union. So, the producer so that a large theater may have t as many as 25, and a small theater have as few as three or six. So it's a musical that's coming into the house, the theater that you operate. The producer tells you, I need so and so many members of the orchestra? Well, to begin with, each theater has its own requirement, minimum requirement. Mm -hmm. So as I said, anywhere from three to 25. So if it was a large musical, he would need 25. He would then hire a musical contractor that would go out and engage the orchestra for him. And the orchestra would then be assigned to that particular theater for that particular attraction. Do you decide the, the, the drum player and the piccolo player no. and the guitarist? No. no. That's not the job that's of the a, theater operator. That's not. As I said, prior to that, there right. used to be years ago when there were four what they called housemen. Then the theater operator decided on a drum player or a violin player, and it became much easier to have the producer and the producer's team determine what their orchestrations needed. Why do you call a theater a house? Oh, I don't know. It's, I, I guess a proper term should have been a home, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll stick with house for the time. Does it being. seem like a home It to seems you? like a home. It is a home. Is it, it has been a home for me for all of my life. And you feel that cozy about the oh, theaters no that you've operated? Sure. Very cozy, very loving, very caring of them. And we take great pride in their appearance and spend lots and lots of money on keeping them in pristine condition. So you're in charge of the physical plant itself, the walls, the building, the paint. That is the uh, property of the Schubert organization. But the the person who is the theater operator, does that's he? Us. That's us. All one the same. Oh, you're all, yes. Okay. We haven't leased out. Okay. Maybe I didn't explain it clearly in the beginning. The Schubert organization, that I'm the president of the Schubert organization, we own and operate mm -hmm. the theater. Okay. We so haven't leased out. But any. sometimes it's two different things. No. Oh, but I mean, not for you, but couldn't it be that a oh, theater it certainly owner, could be that a I mean, on the road, say, doesn't yeah, it? That would not, yes, that would not choose to operate that particular theater. So he may lease time. I mean, a perfect example would be a, a facility that was owned by a municipality. Mm -hmm. And then they, yeah. would, then they would get an operator. Or in Washington, D.C., for instance, we are, really have a management agreement with the National Theater in Washington. Schubert does not own the National. We manage the theater operate the theater for the National Theater Association, I believe. I may not be 100% right. So do you decide what colors are going to go on the ceilings and well, uh, what decision the is made chairs by, are going to oh, be red yes. velvet or blue velvet? Uh, not my choice, no. but a person who's qualified to make that choice. Somebody that you hire? Yes, that we engage. So you, th that's somebody else on the, the list of people. 
Yes, you but that's hire. basically done at a time when there's a major renovation that's taking mm -hmm. place, like, for instance, the Winter Garden Theater. Initially, it was prepared and renovated and made absolutely beautiful with what we call five coats of paint because that's different colors. And that was 20-some-odd years ago. And cats came in and needed a darker environment. Trevor Nunn and Andrew Lloyd Webber wanted the theater painted black, and we acquiesced to their wishes and painted it black. And the theater show ran there for 18 years, so it was a very wise decision. Yes, it was. It now now, you now we to had to restore it. it. Yes. yes, exactly, because others will not want it black. Yes. So we've just gone through a very costly renovation of uh, actually in the early tens of millions of dollars to renovate, paint, clean, restore, new seats, new carpeting, and bringing everything into the state of the art, mm -hmm. electrically mm -hmm. and otherwise. So you have engineers and painters on your staff? We have a st painting staff because we operate so many theaters in the city. Uh, 17 theaters in New York City in itself. So it's practical for us to have painters, I guess somewhat similar to the George Washington Bridge. By the time you start on one end and finish the other end, the, the, the other end is available for how, care. How important is it, do you think, to the audience that the surroundings are nice? Well, we think that's very important. Mm -hmm. Part of theater going is a very, very fun experience, and it should be a fun experience, and it starts when you walk in. You should be comfortable, you should be clean, well-maintained, and uh, the show then takes over. Curtain goes up, and the rest is in the hands of the creative people. Do you get excited when the curtain goes up? Absolutely. You do? Every time. <laughs> Whether it be of the same show or different shows but there's no question about it. I don't think you'd be in this business if you didn't have a love for the theater mm -hmm. and a caring for the theater. Mm -hmm. And all of us do work in the business, I would assume, have some care for it. Otherwise, we'd be out doing something else. You started as an usher. I started as an usher. Said. While going to school and continued ushering uh, through my school period and then became gradually an assistant manager at one point and then a manager and then eventually went into the box office mm -hmm. and then moved out of the box office and went back into management in the offices. What's, when you look around uh, at the people who manage or operate theaters, what sort of people are attracted to that profession? Well, they now have courses, you know, and the, in fact, uh, the Schubert Organization is responsible for teaching a course in theater management, which is uh, part of the Columbia University uh, program. Mm -hmm. Uh, and part of that is, is theater management. Mm -hmm. uh, when I came along, there were no that I know of. I'm sure, you know, eventually the Yales of the world grew in and the Harvards of the world grew in and, and started to offer programs, uh, mostly in the creative side and then developed into management, you know, mm -hmm. became part of management. But most of us, I think, learned from experience and you grew up and your training was on the job. How do you get one of those jobs to get the training? Well, I took mine because I was in watching a show in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, it was a vaudeville show, which also had a film. And I liked what I saw, and I thought it was great fun, and uh, I applied for an ushering job after school. They gave me the job, and here I am. I thought it was full-time and permanent. <laughs> but, 
<laughs> so you can move up from usher. It's you not, can, it's not a dead end. I have. It and shouldn't be a dead end for anyone. There's no position in the theater that should be a dead end. Because why? I'm talking about the physical. Now, yes. of course, the creative thing is I, I think I sing, but obviously not well enough. <laughs> you never wanted to get on the stage? To, oh, I'd love to get on the stage, <laughs> but to command a salary for it? I don't think I could command a salary. <laughs> no, no. But if you were advising somebody to study um, for such a job as theater operator, what would you suggest they study? Well, there are programs, yeah. as I said, you know. But what subjects in school? Say they're not in one of those specialty schools. Well, first of all, it's uh, like any business. The theater is a business. I mean, if it weren't a business, you wouldn't make the payroll. Uh, not all of it is, uh, you know, is just fun and games. Mm -hmm. You have to accumulate uh, some business acumen in order yeah. to make the expenses and pay the, the salaries. And so accounting so and... So accounting uh, is certainly a great way. Some people come through it th by way of the law, you know. They, they take a course in law, and they eventually practice theatrical law, and that brings them into the theater. And there's a need for that. Uh, but the theater is basically a small cottage industry. Mm. You know, it's not a large... It has, over the years, now become much more diversified across America because there's so much regional theater. And there's so mm. much... Like in, in New York, for instance, the, the prominence of the off-Broadway theater off-Broadway has become a big, big, big provider of entertainment mm -hmm. for people, mm -hmm. whereas it used to be small and not, not as accessible. And uh, a lot of out-of-towners didn't want to venture down into the areas that those small theaters were located in. But now they do, and many successes have. We produced a play off-Broadway called Little Shop of Horrors. It ran for three and a half years. And... Uh, you know, there are a lot of other long-running off-Broadway shows. How many unions do you deal with? Well, in about 11 in New York City, but then in the other cities you have almost a similar amount. Some of them are national unions, like Equity is a national union. Uh, IATSE, which is the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, that's a national union, but they also have their locals that deal in the various cities, like in New York, it's local number one that control all the stage ads. So do you have to know the different requirements, holidays, deductions? Oh, absolutely. For every one of these unions? They have what's, what's called a minimum basic agreement. And that minimum basic agreement is negotiated with each individual union. It has terms and conditions for the employment of their members. and. Uh, and the salaries are stipulated mm -hmm. in those agreements. So the operator has to know all of this and deal with all of yes. these contracts. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned the box office. Do you actually physically go to the box office and count the receipts? Well, I don't physically count it. <laughs> Somebody from your office that has go changed. down? Yes. How oh, do you yes. count yes. the money? <laughs> well, we're automated to a oh. large extent, fully computerized. Mm -hmm. uh, our ticketing system is... I will, without shame, say that it is the best in the, in the world. We have a, a state-of-the-art ticketing system tied into a telephone reservation system, tied into an Internet. So all of our ticketing is done in, in state-of-the-art conditions. Is this something that the theater operator needs to know about? Computerization? Oh, yes. Computerized? Absolutely. So that's another skill mm -hmm. that you would need. Everything is departmentalized, and mm -hmm. people have their own skills. I mean, the theater, uh, no one person knows it. And the beauty of working is that every day you learn something new. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, as in your mm -hmm. profession, 
you learn something new every day, whether it's technique or knowledge of some particular area. You learn something new, and that's part of the growing and learning experience of living. When you send a, a show on the road, how do you, do you deal with another theater operator, or do you only send it to theaters that you own? No. You, well, that's, there's a difference. Uh, as a theater operator, you have no rights to do anything with the show. You're strictly, strictly the landlord. Yeah. Okay. So that show moves on. The producer of that particular show would make his or her own agreements mm -hmm. for the touring. I see. Uh, in something that we were the producer of, absolutely, we would play with other theater owners wherever the theater would be. The, the first and most serious consideration is the theater suitable for the production. Well, say you, ha you own a theater, which of course you do, and a producer comes and says, I have a play, and you don't like the play. Does that happen sometimes? And you say, well... Well, it's supply and demand. Mm -hmm. If uh, there are a lot of empty theaters and not enough plays, obviously you can be much less choosy. If there are a lot of plays and, and the same limited number of theaters, because we are limited. Mm -hmm. There are about 35 theaters in New York City. So there is a limitation to the number of Broadway theaters. And when the number of plays and musicals exceed that number, and some people are waiting to come in, one then because not necessarily choosy, mm -hmm. no one serves as a critic, no one serves as a censorer. Mm -hmm. But what you do is you think, uh, you pick what you think will give you the best opportunity for a long run, mm -hmm. because that's the kind of business you're in. Well, that Obviously your tenant has to be successful, otherwise your building is going to be vacated. So you're looking for the hit. The hit or the show that can run. Because not every show is a hit. Right, but it can run. But and it that's certainly can run or it can have a, have, have an, have a run, uh, which is important. Do you read then? You read the, the, the play, the manuscript? We have a department, uh, Schubert, there's a creative department that reads every submission. We don't take any unsolicited submissions, mm -hmm. but submissions that are solicited by us is read and evaluated by our people and then passed on to some other level. So some of them may not get past level one and they may not move to level two. Is there a rivalry among theaters about who's going to get what play that's coming oh, absolutely. in? absolutely. And uh, so how do you try to beat out the competition well, to get the hit? Try to get up early in the morning and <laughs> go after the producer <laughs> and try and convince the producer or the oh. creative team that you have the right theater. So part of your job but, is convincing. Is well, part of it is convincing, but an awful lot of it has to do with the fact that every producer has in his or her own mind what they think is the perfect home. Oh. And you may or may not be available for them at that particular time. You may have another attraction in the theater. And if you do, then they will take something that's not exactly of their choosing or some, they'll make some compromises in their own mind. But wouldn't you go after them and say, we can paint this theater another color? We well, can we make did. it good for you? We, we can. <laughs> we can. <laughs> you'll like it. We'll make it a home for we you? We did it with Andrew Lloyd Webber, and it was successful. <laughs> so you do actually go out and try to negotiate with people. We do. Absolutely. You do. You do negotiating. You try to get as, as good uh, what you think is good. You know, Not everything you think is good is as good as you think it is. Right. So it does require some your taste and uh, your taste intuition and or knowledge or wisdom about the theater. Then something else that a theater owner operator might need is some knowledge of the, the material itself. How oh, to yes, judge absolutely. what's good. Well, that's why we have a creative department. Right that evaluates these projects, and then they're mm -hmm. passed on to, in, in, the, in the case of us, a, they're passed on either to Jerry Schoenfeld, who's our chairman, mm -hmm. or myself, uh, 
and then there's so a discussion. So you have to have some insight into what might what might run. Well, also certain there are certain formulas that seem to be foolproof. Not every time, but they are foolproof. I mean, if you have major major talents that are recognized in the theater and have had a great track record, you know, of whether they be directors or composers or, or lyricists, uh, certainly that's a, you know, a strong indication of where you're going to go. Do you make alliances with certain producers so that you always get their work? Well, or? I don't know that you can ever do that. You hope to do that. You hope to do it out of more than friendship. You hope to do it out of being able to provide the things that they find necessary for their production to, as I said in the beginning, it's important that they have a nice, clean, commodious home for their play, and also in, in keeping the theater with the uh, proper amount of electrical requirements. And, uh, so you stuff. need technical knowledge, but you also need persuasive powers. We really don't need technical knowledge you, yourself, oh, okay. no. I mean, we have, we have a large maintenance department, okay. large properties department, and people in those departments but know. But you have to oversee them and hire them. So exactly. you'd have to be sure, in a way, you'd have to be sure you're getting the right people exactly. in. Where do you find people to fill those jobs? Well, much of it is referral. People come through referrals. You don't really go into the marketplace. You rarely okay. take ads, you know. I mean, so how do you mean referrals? Who refers somebody and says, I know an engineer, or I know somebody that well, could work in the box office? Well, that's precisely what happens. Yes, well, yes, that, that happens okay. a lot. But uh, we encourage new people to try. It's not a fam you know, it's not a family operation. It's not. How would they uh, try? Say they wanted to start as an usher. Say they wanted to start in the box office. Show up. Oh, just show up. Show up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have you fill out an application, and certainly somebody from our human resources department will interview you. And if you have the what they think are the necessary qualifications, and there is an opening, you'll be employed. How about a stagehand? You, you hire your own stagehands for your theaters? Yes, we do. We hire not the basic house crew is what's referred to as a house crew. Now we're back to house again. Yes, the home. I like the that. Home. I like that very much. <laughs> it should be called a home. <laughs> but uh, we have, in, in these theaters, we have a minimum crew of uh, three heads uh, of department. Of I hope they have hands and feet, too. And they, they have to have hands and feet. <laughs> okay, yeah, so. Absolutely. The uh, business of the uh, coal Coal shovelers on the trains no longer exist. Yeah, so you have you have these th so three crew. Did you, Electrician, yeah. property person, and a carpenter. They belong, so to speak, to that house or yes, theater. Yes, they do. And they stay there. They stay there. And then the producer might hire other stagehands. They all have to, to work together. Yes, exactly. He has to hire other stagehands because there's never, we never were so lucky as to have a situation where you only need three stagehands. How many does one need? You could need as many as 20. 20 stagehands? Sure. Oh, oh. So it's, you know, as I said, a lot of people, additional people, have to be added on. And that's something that's done with the producer and the union and the theater operator, where they agree to what the need is. How are you paid? I mean, if a show closes, uh, are you not paid? Or Well, I'm in the fortunate position to work for the company because okay. we have more than one theater. Mm -hmm. uh, I hope never, it will never happen that we don't have any shows open or any theaters open. As I said at the outset, we have 17 theaters in New York. We're always, some theaters are some open. Some are open, but say a theater <laughs> operator was working for only one theater, 
and that show closed. You have problems. Oh, so <laughs> you really want that show to run? You certainly do. Oh, is there anything you can do to help it along? Well, they do. That's uh, the theater operator becomes involved in giving rent concessions to the producer to encourage the producer to stay on or to help the producer to stay on in some way, shape, or form. If they're not taking in enough money, you give them a rent concession, oh. reduce the rent. Uh, the reduced can go anywhere from zero to 100%. And can you do something to try to get audiences in? We try that also. It's basically the function of the producer and his or her staff Mm -hmm. to advertise and promote and market the show. But uh, we at the Schubert organization are very much hands-on to the extent the producer wants us. Uh, we're more than happy to offer our exper experience that we've developed by watching others. Uh, we have the good fortune to watch others. Many make mistakes, many do, the, do wonderful things, and we hopefully learn from those that do wonderful things which would be happy to pass on. What are the terms when a producer comes to rent uh, a theater? Is that what it's called? He, yes. He rents it to, from you? He comes to negotiate a booking agreement. And, and well, how is that decided, what the rental fee is? Well, it's, again, a large part of supply and demand. Large part. Oh, so it's uh, flexible? Flexible. Oh. One time the rent could be well, higher could than it, another. Well, give me some idea well, in New York. Well, I think it would be unfair to give you any idea, Pierre, because it could, you know, the range could be so, and the swing could be so widespread that to give you a number would probably just confuse people. But basically, it's done uh, as a percentage of the gross. Oh, so okay. that the theater operator provides the theater and some personnel, not all the personnel, but some personnel. And then that cost becomes the obligation or the responsibility of the producer. When they rent the theater, they agree to pay those people. Now, as a rent factor, or as a theater's share, as we call it, the theater's share is a percentage of the gross. Mm -hmm. And that could be any, num any percent, I mean, which is, as I say, would be probably unfair and not the kind of thing that should be sent out on anything that's as durable as videotape. <laughs> Also, I guess it changes depending it on the, uh, exactly. the economy. Of what, By the time we leave here, it may have changed. <laughs> may have changed, exactly. Um, when you look around again at the people you see doing theater, operating in some of these jobs, what personality traits do they have? Well, it's amazing the number of young people. I mean, that's really and truly, people come in and they come in on an apprentice level. They come in on a... Uh, a desire to become involved, and uh, it's really in remarkable that a number of them that do show up looking for work and involvement exist. And they come in at some of them the, the lowest possible, you know, messengers. And hmm. Everybody grows up, you know. I mean, the great story of David Geffen starting in the mailroom at the William Morris Agency. Yes. And you could cite any number of stories like that. And they happen in the theater, but they happen in a less dramatic way. People so people very often start in the lowest job Absolutely. qualification, I guess Absolutely. you would say, and then work there. What, what are the qualities that they, these people have who move up and become theater operators? Well, probably the love of the theater, you know, is uh, something that's essential. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you wouldn't hang in that long. Mm -hmm. for, because there's a period of time where you're not making very much money. And, might want. What are the, the hours are long. I mean, just, just generally, what would a... Well, when I started, I was getting 45 cents an hour. Okay. 
Well, I didn't have as many obligations as I have now. <laughs> so I was able to make ends meet. Right. This is your usher. That job. was my ushering your job. Usher While job. I was going to school, I got 45 cents an hour. Okay. But you and got to see all those plays. And then as time went on, I got 55 cents oh, an hour. This is and good. before you know it, I was getting like $28 a week. So, you know, things really improved. But what was it that hooked you? Well, I think that one night sitting in the theater and watching that uh, vaudeville show and watching that uh, movie, but more the vaudeville show than anything, and I thought to myself that this is really looks like great fun. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I, I was working for Archeo Theaters at that time, mm -hmm. and eventually, as I said, I grew up the ranks to the ranks and became a house manager, a full-fledged house manager, which means I was in, responsible for the entire operation of that particular theater. Uh, I then wound up at the Palace Theater on Broadway at a very convenient time when Judy Garland came back and brought in a policy of two-a-day at the Palace. What's two-a-day? Two performances a day. Oh. You mean not so, just Wednesdays and Sundays, oh, but every day? Two every day. Whoa. And Whoa. Uh, that was a great time for me. That uh -huh. was a great, wonderful learning experience and a, a, a time that I really got hooked. Uh -huh. uh, it got into my system, and I never wanted to leave it. And uh, I worked many, many times. I worked 18 hours a day and 16 hours a day and 14 hours a day, depending on the need. What were some of the things you learned? Well, for a whole host of things, you learned you learned about people. Number one, you know, you were exposed to people you, you were, that you never uh, previously had been exposed to. You were exposed to uh, people at all scales of life. And for me, a young boy coming from Brooklyn and not having uh, been born into the privileged class, it was very nice for me then to be able to mix with people who had a lot of money. And I cite one example, which I brought some paperwork up to the apartment of the then president of Archeo Theaters, and it was the San Remo Apartments on Central Park West, and he lived in the tower. Mm. And I never, I never realized that anybody lived quite that way in New York City, because I was living in Brooklyn, and I had to take the subway home, and suddenly I walked into this apartment, and he was kind and just enough to show me around the apartment and left a lasting impression. I never wound up in an apartment in the tower, but... <laughs> you did all right. <laughs> it was... I've seen your It's okay. <laughs> but, uh, as I said, it exposed you and gave you an opportunity mm -hmm. to work with people. Mm -hmm. uh, working in the theater, I think, probably more than anywhere else, is less of a class system, you know, and people are looking to help and... I've been had leaning, I've had people that were very generous with their time and their help and their attention and whether it be in my, you know, whether it be Judy Garland who was very friendly and warm, wonderful woman or Danny Kay or, who passed through those doors at that time. So, uh, so that made, made it excitement and uh, gave you a taste of something you didn't want to let go of. But coupled with all of that, there's a lot of hard, serious work that has to be done. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the glitter, and then you really have to clean up the next morning and sweep it up. So you, do, you have to do, so that requires a personality that can shift and do those two things. Get along with the stars and the people you're going to meet, and well, at the same essential. time handle all the union, the negotiations, 
the nitty-gritty. Yeah, so we have 1,500 people a night in the theater also. So the, the theater manager or operator in those instances has to uh, make sure that their comfort and their safety is mm -hmm. first and foremost. Mm -hmm. uh, and ma that can ex run from the gamut, from whether it be the air conditioning and what's an appropriate temperature to have the engineer make sure that mm -hmm. the house is comfortable. Uh, to making sure that it's clean and the, the, the restrooms are clean and whoever was responsible for cleaning the restrooms clean them. Mm -hmm. And that and when the box office is opened, uh, that uh, if the line gets too long, it's, you have to go out and sometimes remind people to open a second window. Not everybody jumps to do it. So you're kind of a troubleshooter. Well, you can be anything. You can be a janitor. You can run <laughs> for you have to superintendent. <laughs> you have to do it. Everything. Or an entrepreneur, all wrapped into one. Well, that's, that requires quite an interesting personality that could handle all those different things. Uh, are there many women who become theater oh, operators? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes, no question. Plenty of women. There's a lot of women working in the theater. And uh, I must say that I'm very proud and happy that we played a large part in women working in some of the, the crafts that they hadn't previously been working in, such as stage hands. Uh, very important that women, there be no glass ceiling in the theater either. You mentioned that how much of a, a family feeling the theater is and that it doesn't seem to have a class system. Uh, is that something that, it, that you can explain why that should occur in the theater? And well, it's such a camaraderie of people, in, 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 in a, you know, what well, you know better than anybody in a show that uh, when, a, when, a sh when a show that becomes a family, mm -hmm. it's a big family. Mm -hmm. And sometimes an extension of that family goes out to the people working in the, in the building, the theater operators, or the uh, ushers. Or I mentioned Judy Garland earlier. Judy Garland was very insistent that the ushering staff and everyone working in the theater attend the parties that she like to give on stage after her performance occasionally. <laughs> but everyone was included. Everyone was invited to attend. So you've had a chance to meet a lot of people. Yes. Have there any, been any disasters in your theater that you'd like to tell us about? No, I think we've been fortunate that no. The set didn't fall down on somebody or the Well, wall. you know, I remember back at the palace in those days when we were presenting vaudeville, we one time had an elephant act. Yes. And uh, everything was very fine. We went through the dress rehearsal with the elephant rearing up on his hind legs or her hind legs and the trainer down there poking it a little bit and rewarding him with peanuts and um, everything went fine until the first show and when the curtain went up in those days the curtain spread we used to have mm -hmm. traveler we used to use travelers instead of rising curtains for the vaudeville when the curtain went up the follow spot hit the elephant in the eyes, and the elephant roared. Oh, <laughs> and we thought the elephant was going to go off the stage into the orchestra pit. But somebody very, very quick thinking closed the drape. And that was the end of the stage. That was the end of the elephant? No, the trainer was very good. He coaxed the elephant back, and we went on and did finish the show. <laughs> well, when they're animal acts, is that the theater operator? Does he have to pr supply the place for the animals to stay? Well, back in those days, that was, you know, that was vaudeville. Yeah. And maybe that's why it there died. There was only last night there was a cat in it. 
Well, because now they have the, you know, they have the, they have the various companies that supply them. They come and they pick them up and they bring right. them back. So that doesn't you know, fall into the theater. Chateau up. or one of those, uh, you know, animal places will deliver what you need and then pick it up and take it back. When you look back on, on your years uh, as a theater operator, are there moments that stand out in your mind? Oh, yes. There's many moments. Uh, my seeing my fair lady mm. was one of the great moments of my life. And uh, I got, a, got an opportunity to see my fair lady the week after it opened, and I was very, very impressed. Fiddler on the Roof with Zero Mostel was uh, a moment to cherish. And of course, a chorus line. And being there from the very beginning, because we went down to the public theater and we saw it with Michael Bennett and it was with Bernie Jacobs. I went down there some 20 some odd times, I would believe, to watch that show. So that was a great experience. And so the theater operators get caught up in the same emotional impact of the theater as the so-called creative side. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think anybody can just divorce themselves of it. I mean, you have to be pretty cold to cut yourself off and just say, did the numbers add up, you know? Well, some people might think that, as you said, your, your real estate, your numbers, so that you're on one side of the ledger, but apparently you have to have some feeling for Well, the sometimes people refer to the theater operators in a demeaning way as calling them real estate operators. That happens, but to each his own. But you, it sounds like you, the better theater operators would have an emotional connection with the plays and the material. Well, and I think if you're going to stay in it. a long haul, you know, if you're going right. as a worker, as an employee, as somebody mm -hmm. that uh, is going to hang in, if you're going to hang in for a long and extended period of time, uh, you, you must have a love of the work, otherwise you're going to be a very unhappy person and it's going to show itself all over. Do you go off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway into regional places looking for plays? Oh yes, we cover everything. How do, you, how do you cover everything? Well, again, we have, we have a department that makes sure that uh, anything that's brought to our attention or that we ferret out. Would you go and uh, look at it, for example? Yes, I have. You sure. travel somewhere to, to mm -hmm. you hear that there's something? Yes, to another city, to off-Broadway, to regional sites. Is there enough material these days? to fill all your theaters? At the moment, yes. But you know, that could be cyclical, and uh, hopefully it's not. Hopefully there'll continue to be this flood of material. Uh, one of the greatest enemies to the theater is a cost. Yes. And a cost is just something that's, I guess, hard to control, because you, you're, you're affected by it in every phase, whether it be advertising or uh, building the set. Lumber is so expensive. Mm -hmm. or. Uh, it's not only labor in itself, but it's very labor intensive because every performance is a handmade performance, really, custom made. Mm -hmm. So that in any other business, as you go further down the line and you make, you make more of something, eventually it, it costs less to make more of it. But not in the theater. It goes actually in the opposite direction. You're making a handmade performance, which becomes more costly because you're you know, your inflation factor bills in. Does the theater operator decide the price of the tickets? Theater pri uh, the price of tickets is determined by the producer. And uh, in consultation with the theater operator. But basically the theater pri the price of uh, 
of theater tickets is determined by the producer. And do you get and a, that's a fact, percentage really, of that? We get a percentage of that. You get a percentage of the ticket as well as the rental fee. No, that is that, well, is, that is the that rental is fee. What the theater share. That is what the theater gets for it. Oh, I thought there was another rental fee when they just came to... No. There, well, you, well, there's many ways of doing a, uh, right. uh, uh, an agreement. You uh, could have a four-wall rental where you could take a fixed dollar amount and it would, you would have no participation then whatsoever in, in the gross. But most, in most cases, you have participation in the gross. Do you go abroad as well? Yes. England. So mostly. you operate theaters in England, lot of theaters anywhere else. But you do go to England to, to then to would see you, shows. you go to London and you see a show, you then talk to the producer and say, I saw your show and I liked it and I wish you'd put That's it in correct. one of my theaters. Sometimes you go there on your own, sometimes you're invited. I see. Oh, I see. But, uh, you know, we, we try to cover again. It's part of covering. Uh, London is part of seeing what, what's available. And you go, yourself go there often? <laughs> yes. So part of you, you certainly have traveled far from. We have traveled <laughs> far from the home base. From the home base. <laughs> well, then, well, so you need uh, some ability to travel and meet people uh, in do. other countries. Absolutely. Other, I'm trying to think of the qualities that the person would need, and you'd have to have an open mind to travel and to go places and to be oh, able sure. to speak to people. Not sit in an office. You just can't sit in an office and conduct your, your business that way. You have to go out and make yourself accessible and available. Where else do you go? Anywhere, any, any one of the states. Uh, I just uh, a year ago went to Australia to see a musical in Australia at the urgence of Robert Fox, who was a good friend and an English producer, and he produced a musical in Australia. My wife and I went to Australia to see it. To check it out, and then if you like it, you will... How, what's the process of seeing well, something in Australia to, and getting it into a theater well, they in, were going on to, Broadway? They're going to eventually try and do it uh, in America. Mm -hmm. uh, they were going to make a midway stop in London, but I think they've sort of abandoned that idea. and They're still working on reshaping it for an American audience. Do you sign a contract with them that says if you come to New York, you have to use or you will use one of our theaters? No, it's no, all word, really. just a handshake? Yeah, oh, sure. Oh, really? It's not all written out in college? Oh, it's written out on a booking agreement when you finally determine that that's the theater mm -hmm. you want. But no, just going to see someone's property. You can't do that. No, you couldn't Anything do that. could change also. Absolutely. I suppose it's, they could rewrite it or change it. Or oh, sure. Absolutely. Or not get the star that they want. That's true. So you have to be flexible. Is that another flexible quality? Flexible is, that's a quality. You have to be flexible. Is that a <laughs> And hopefully resilient. Tell me about flexible and resilient. <laughs> Well, you have to be flexible. You can't be rigid. If you're rigid in your, in your, in your attitudes, and uh, you'll never, you have to grow with the process, you know. Uh, things change. Conditions change. Uh, the economy changes. There's so many variables that govern a theater, like any other business. And so many personalities. And so Don't many personalities. Don't you have egos that you have to deal with? Well, sure you do. Absolutely. And that's, you know, a lot of it is self-fulfilling, these egos. Mm -hmm. It drips off on everyone. So how did you learn how to handle big egos? Well, you do the best you can, <laughs> is all I can say. You do the best you can. Some egos you just can't manage. <laughs> but by and large, you do the best you can. Well, what advice would you give to somebody who is going to try to learn how to deal with many different kind of people? Just do the best you can, because I don't know of any formula that you can deal with an ego. Egos, uh, 
Egos are wonderful because without egos you wouldn't have success. Without egos you wouldn't have creativity. Do you cultivate a relationship with stars and major actors? Oh, I, you know, I'm not exactly a social bug in that area, <laughs> but uh, yes, you, you get to know people and you become friendly with some. And, and, well, in uh, the hopes that you will, do you have to try to encourage them to come back to one of your theaters? Well, that, you might oh yes, say, that's part, absolutely. Well, that's part of your networking. Yeah, so networking, networking is, is absolutely. And you network with the stars or performers or actors. Well, it would be terrible to have a star who refused to uh, who, who play the theater. Yes. Schubert organization was very fortunate in having your mother in a play <laughs> at the Schubert Theater, and I was involved at that time with the Schubert organization. Oh, okay. uh, so. That was that was a nice moment, a very nice moment. Did you have to go out and reel her in, or was she willing to play no, in your theater? No, 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 no. Arthur Cantor produced the play, and uh, we made. Was it, it the constant wife? The constant the, wife. With Ingrid Bergman. In, in case with Ingrid Bergman. Know who we're oh, I think of. everybody no, here knows no, no, who, no, who. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. And uh, yes, we, we we made a booking agreement with Arthur Cantor, and the show played at the Schubert Theater, mm -hmm. right in Schubert Alley. Mm -hmm. And I met your mother on a couple of occasions, and she was an absolutely delightful woman. She wasn't one of those big egos you're talking about. Did you? No, it, she did. She concealed it very well. She was a better Jenny, actress than. <laughs> I know you have to get along with a lot of these people, because I know. So part of your the, the job of the theater owner, manager, operator is is to cultivate these relationships, both with producers and with actors. And, and directors. you directors, you have to know them as well, or have some well, many way directors of speaking have, to them. Yeah, Don't many you have to speak have their language? Approval. Well, you do. I mean, you know, it's not, uh, a lot of it is uh, a repeat of the prior experience, maybe. Ah. You know, it could be. But, you know, directors do have uh, theater approval in some instances. Mm -hmm. So uh, it wouldn't be the wisest thing in the world to have a contentious uh, you know, attitude toward the director. Are you a peacemaker? Is that well, you'd hope for be, some of the things you of, have to do? Well, you do have to be a peacemaker because, you know, a lot of people work in the theater. Uh, in a musical theater, you can have more, upwards of 100 or more people working in the building. And they all have to, it's small. The area is very tight and close, especially the backstage areas. Mm -hmm. And people have to work, work around each other. And uh, sometimes you have to be a mediator or whatever, you know, how close conditions uh, breed contempt. And so you're a therapist, you're yeah. a father figure. You're <laughs> all of that. You have to be a little of all of all those of things you too? Have to, you have to plug in. The nice thing about the theater, and I think what I liked and was attracted to it from the very outset, was that there's no two days the same. I mean, there's always something. And when you least expect it, something different and new, mm -hmm. uh, beyond your wildest imagination, crops up. And it has to be attended to. Mm -hmm. And you can't put it off and say, we'll deal with it tomorrow. Because, as I said earlier, you may have as many as 1,500 people in the theater. And uh, the theater has to be opened. It has to be staffed. It has to be safe. Safe and clean. And do you worry about all the fire regulations? All the fire regulations. And we absolutely abide by them all. We take no one's safety uh, lightly. And uh, so, you know, it requires a constant, ongoing 
Have you had to change theaters now for wheelchairs and accessibility? Yes, that's the ADA. Uh, so many new. We have we have we have addressed that, and it's been a very very expensive process to make the theaters wheelchair and accessible in all other ways for people that require. And now they have earphones for the hard of hearing, and you have so well, many. Well, we new have infrared systems, yes, which uh, where where you just. You know, can use use that to hear the performances mm -hmm. on stage, and uh, for the those that have some impairment in their hearing. What about the concession stand? You're also selling there during the uh, the acts. I mean, who, the concession op stand who operates that? Is that under your? That's someone else. Oh, and we uh, actually we have an agreement with the concessionaire, and he takes care of the concession stand. Now that is not necessarily uniform. Some theaters operate their own, and some theater owners operate their own concession. We at the Schubert have chosen, as others have, to have a concessionaire. Would you advise somebody to, to pick this as a profession? Oh, I think so, definitely. Why? Great fun. Fun. Uh, long hours, hard work, sometimes great reward. In my case, I was very, very rewarded, and I'm thankful every day for it. What has given you so much pleasure? Well, for one thing, I've been with the Schubert organization since 1957. You only worked for one company? I've only worked for one company <laughs> since 1957, <laughs> so I'm vested. So they don't fire people. <laughs> that, that sounds like it's no, pretty No, you'd steady. be surprised, especially, oh, really? yeah, especially oh. uh, Schubert. Uh, Schubert has been has a, a continuity, a oh, really? long continuity of people working and and very few people uh, changing. I mean, surprisingly enough, in a changing business. So there's a little bit of job security in this very insecure world within... Well, unfortunately, on the production side of it, there is not the same kind oh, of security. Because when the show closes, the yeah. show closes, and everyone connected with that particular production unfortunately, is furloughed, and yes. there is no employment for them. But for the theater owners... But for the person with the building, there is a limited core of people... Who that, stay on, who stay and then on. you just look for your next project, Attraction, hoping exactly. a big hit is coming. Mm -hmm. That's true. Did you ever spot a big hit yourself coming? Oh, a big hit, I don't know. That might be... Or something that lasted, <laughs> beside cats. Well, a lot of shows <laughs> have lasted. I yeah. mean, that we've been fortunate enough to be involved with, and... What are your favorite shows when you look back? When you look back over the years, well, they're all favorites, but some are more favorite. And something I never forgot it was a perfect musical. Aren't you uh, going to bring it back into one of your theaters? It's yes, coming, isn't it? It's coming, is right. Cameron McIntosh is bringing it in here. Into He's one of your theaters? He will hopefully, yes, we'll hopefully bring it into a Schubert theater. Yes, did you go and to have to uh, tell him that? Your theater was your well, theater. Well, I went to the opening night in London, and mm -hmm. he invited me to the opening, and I attended the opening at the Drury Lane Theater, and it was a great experience. It was brought me back. This is the new, the new, the version. new version, yes, the new version. And Kitty Carlisle Hart was sitting in front of me, mm -hmm. and yeah, she had been so. there uh, forty some odd years before when her husband Morse Hart directed the original production of My Fair Lady. So you're making a circle, do you feel? I think <laughs> there's a circle, yes. I hope it's just a beginning, though, of a oh, new Oh, yes, circle. just a new circle, because <laughs> now you'll be able to bring it, bring it back again, perhaps. Yes, we had, okay. actually, I was working at the Palace Theater when that show opened at the Mark Hellinger Theater in New York, but 
Will we see any new theaters being built? You said all of them were built so long ago. What happened? Why can't there, we build some new ones? Well, because of a lot of reasons. It's very difficult to build a freestanding theater. They're very expensive. To, you know, to build a theater in New York City could cost $30, $40, $50 million. Oh. And uh, there is no way of supporting that. Uh, you uh -huh. know, you hear people talking about high ticket prices. Ticket <laughs> prices are only as high as they have to be. And if with, in this present day and age, uh, to spend $50 million for oh, a theater, yeah. you would never, ever possibly get, get your money back out of it. How about a little theater in the round? Well, we're in the process of building a new theater off-Broadway, mm -hmm. a 499-seat theater, mm -hmm. a Schubert organization. That's not ready yet, but should be probably in the, in the next nine months or so opening off-Broadway. So there's a, a change in, in Broadway theaters owning some off-Broadway theaters? Is well, we do have an interest. We've had an interest in other off-Broadway theaters. And as I told you prior, we produced, uh, you know, Little Shop of Horrors, which we were proud of because that was a long-running, oh. three-and-a-half-year... Your criteria yeah. ran a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and a hit. <laughs> and it was different. I mean, it brought it's young different. people to the theater, which is good, as we were also very proud of, to be the theater owner or the theater operator that had Grease, for instance. You know, because those, you have to get the audience to be reduced in years and, you know. So you're aware of the fact that you need new, new blood and oh, uh, younger audiences. Absolutely. Uh, now the creators have to supply the product. Right. Because right. that's the one thing the theater owner can't do. He can't write, can't sing. Maybe you can. Can't dance. <laughs> Why don't you try? You've <laughs> had a lot of experience now, so maybe you yeah, can. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people succeed at it. You uh, have, but, so uh, maybe it's in there, you know, you could try. No, I don't think so. I think no. I'll leave well enough alone. <laughs> have you seen anything lately that you really loved? Oh, yes, a lot. Lots so things seen, are yes. not, some people say it's getting, you know, bad, the theater. Oh, it? no, they've referred to it as a dying invalid yeah. forever since I started. So uh, if I had taken heed to that, I would have been doing something else the very next week. So, so the plays you think are as good or... Oh, yes, creativity, uh, the creative genius of people is just uh, never ends, never ba just baffling. Really? That's, a, that's wonderful to hear from somebody who's seen so many plays and uh, been around so long because often So here, much great creative really? juices in, in, in this theater, the small little cottage industry of theater that exists. That's... That's quite, you know, whether it be musicals or plays, you know, just wonderful things. Oh, I'm glad. That's a wonderful note to end on. Thank you so very much for Oh, very good, Pia. Thank you. Thank you very much. Manager. Enjoy Thank it. you. We've been talking with Philip J. Smith. For the American Theatre Wing, I'm Pia Lindstrom. The American Theatre Wing's Guide to Careers in the Theatre is a project of the American Theatre Wing and the New York Public Library's Billy Rose Theatre Collection, Theatre on Film and Tape Archive.